we've essentially eradicated all need for salvation from our lives because we're perfect, right? We don't struggle anymore. We don't have any sin, no imperfection. That's what sainthood is apparently supposed to be like, and that's not true. So I've had the song stuck in my head for a while, Wonderwall by Oasis, and I keep singing it and singing it, and my wife finally asked me, like, can you please stop singing Wonderwall? So I said, maybe. I said, maybe. That's a great one. Uh, Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 157. It is great to be with you. Uh, In case you're a first-time listener, we like to start every episode with a dad joke. So I hope you enjoyed that. And if you are a first-time listener, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It helps other people find it. And if you haven't done that in a while, if you're a long-time listener, please do it again because it doesn't hurt. You can go to our website, Mana Food for Thought, for all of our content, our blogs, our previous podcast episodes. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, and you can get our weekly psalm reflection directly to your inbox. And click the Give button if you want to become a patron by becoming a Patreon subscriber and contributing as little as $1 a month for this podcast because it does cost money to put on the air. And the highest compliment you can pay us is to share us with your friends and family, so please do so. And if you do on social media, please tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. And you can, again, visit our website for all of our other social media links and handles and whatnot. It's great to be with you. Happy Easter, my friends. Uh, let's get into our joy junk and Jesus. So my joy is that it is the Easter season, and it feels very joyful. I'm having a wonderful Easter week. Uh, Easter day, I was able to nap. Oh, it was great. I had the day off, which was wonderful. Got to spend with family, and it was just a nice, chill, low-key day. Um, the junk was, um, I think, and, and it's not really junk. It was just like a lot. Everything leading up to Easter with, you know, when you work in ministry, you know, trying to balance the holiness of the Triduum of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, um, and me being in charge of RCIA and the Easter Vigil reception. There's just a lot to do, but very joyfully, it all worked out very, you know, very good. I wasn't stressed or worried. Um, I even got to run our camera setup on Holy Thursday in the church for the first time and like kind of be in like, you know, our little film booth in the back, which I'd never done before, which was really awesome. So that was great. My Jesus moment was definitely the Easter Vigil. Uh, we uh, welcomed seven new people into the church through the sacrament of baptism and all the other sacraments of initiation and three additional um, people who had already been baptized uh, validly in another Christian faith uh, who were received into the church. And that um, was really great. And the really powerful thing about that was just how God worked leading up to it. There was one particular person who was having a lot of second thoughts, but they they weren't really uh, second thoughts about the faith. It was just, you know, surrounding issues, you know, like with, with family and things like that. Don't want to get into specifics, but um, yeah, I was just able to talk with this person and pray with them multiple times throughout the week. And they were there, they got baptized. They're a brand new baby Catholic and the grace of God is at work in their life. And hopefully it helps uh, resolve a lot of these other things going on. So it's a beautiful gift. Um, so I want to look at the second reading for this upcoming Sunday. This upcoming Sunday is the second Sunday of Easter, but Pope John Paul II also named it the Sunday of Divine Mercy, where we uh, celebrate the devotion to uh, Jesus and the Divine Mercy uh, revealed through Jesus appearing to St. Faustina Kowalska as recorded in her diary. So if you've ever read the diary of St. Faustina 
or uh, you can also do the devotion uh, consecration 33 days to merciful love uh, is all about kind of consecrating yourself to Jesus through divine mercy. So um, that's what the Sunday's about. And you'll get a little bit of that in the readings. Um, the readings are a little particular to mercy. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But this is the second reading, like we always read for this upcoming Sunday. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So this is a letter attributed to Peter, written by him or one of his followers, as it was common to attribute um, you know, the names of uh, authorship to those who instructed you. Um, about, um, well, you'll see what it's about. So second reading for this upcoming Sunday. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are safeguarded through faith to a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the final time. In this you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is perishable even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, yet believe in him, you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what I find most interesting in this uh, passage is that Peter is writing to a heavily persecuted community. Uh, the letters of Peter are later in the first century, as the church has already been developed, the gospels have already been written, the message and the good news of Jesus Christ is spreading rapidly. And despite political oppression, religious oppression from the Jewish people, everything going against them and them having absolutely no power or influence politically whatsoever, this way of Jesus, as it was first called, eventually, you know, deemed Christianity and Catholicism, um, is spreading like wildfire, and there's nothing that the powers that can be can do about it. And so Peter is writing to this community who is being heavily persecuted and sought out. Uh, they're facing death because they, they do not want to recant their belief in something they know to be true, that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead, and that even though we don't deserve it, in his great mercy, he gave us new birth to a living hope, as the second reading says. And so Peter's trying to encourage people who are, I mean, they're being killed in, you know, um, by lions in arenas, you know, they're facing all of this kind of horrific persecution. And he's basically saying, like, in the midst of all of this, rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. And he's telling them, like, your inheritance, did you catch these words in the, in the reading? Your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In comparison to what they're facing now, like, your life is perishable. And we are defiled, and this world is fading. But what you've received from Jesus and his resurrection that's kept in heaven for you, uh, that safeguards you because of your faith, and in this you rejoice, that's more precious than gold. More precious than gold, that's because gold is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, even though it's purified, even though it's refined, even though it's this great valuable substance, it is still perishable. But the message that you have in Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is not perishable. It will sustain you. 
And so in the midst of this like suffering, Peter sees an opportunity to look at suffering with joy, to take suffering and persecution and transform it into something beautiful or see it from a new perspective. And that reminds me of the gospel reading for the Sunday. You're going to hear the gospel. Uh, it's from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And in the gospel, uh, it's the gospel of doubting Thomas, even though I think that's an unfair name that he's given because he's so gung-ho about Jesus every other time he's quoted in scripture. But um, nonetheless, it's this moment where 10 of the disciples are waiting in the upper room. Judas obviously is not there. Uh, and Thomas is somehow not there. And Jesus appears to them and he shows them, you know, his, his wounds. And then they go and get Thomas and they come back a week later because he doesn't believe. And he says, unless I put my, you know, fingers in his hands and bring my hand and put it into his side, I, I will not believe. And Jesus appears again and invites him to do that. And he answers and says, my Lord and my God, and makes this profound confession that Jesus is indeed God. And the question often arises, like, you know, Jesus, he suffered all of these things. He suffered this, this torture, the scourging at the pillar, this crowning of thorns, this horrific beating, this crucifixion, you know, asphyxiating from the fluid building up in his heart and his lungs. Why does he appear in this resurrected form still retaining some of his wounds? You know, the nails that pierced his hands, his feet, even though it doesn't specify his feet in this passage, and the lance that pierced his side from which flowed blood and water. Um, which uh, are depicted in the image of divine mercy as rays of, of red and white light. Why, uh, why this? Why these wounds? Why any wounds? And it's important to remember, like, Jesus' wounds, he retains his wounds because his wounds are his trophies. His wounds are a sign that, yes, indeed, he died, but he demonstrated victory over death. Like, if Jesus came back and he had absolutely no wounds... And he was somewhat unrecognizable because remember, Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize him at first. Uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus don't recognize him at first until he's revealed in the breaking of the bread, you know, etc. Disciples don't recognize who Jesus is at first standing on the shore when they're out fishing in John 21. And so there's something different about him. And so it would have been probably questionable if Jesus didn't have any wounds. So for practicality's sake, for proof's sake, he retains them. But I think even more profound is the fact that his wounds are his trophies, meaning that it's in his woundedness, in his becoming like one of us, vulnerable even to death. Yeah, I'm thinking of the psalm from, or the, the uh, early Christian hymn from Philippians 2 that, um, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and human appearance though he didn't regard equality with God, something to be grasped, you know, all of these phrases about his humility and showing that, you know, it's not about being the most powerful, the most, um, you know, coming out unscathed. It's about showing that in acknowledging our woundedness and coming before God with humility, it's through our woundedness that we can be healed and bring healing to others. It's a great book called The Wounded Healer by Henry Nouwen that demonstrates this very beautifully. But just this idea, I want you to think about this, that his wounds are his trophies and that your wounds are your trophies. Have you ever thought about that? It may seem kind of way out there to think about because maybe your wounds have not been healed. You know, maybe you haven't, uh, you know, spiritually been healed of trauma that has been done to you, abuse and violence in your life, uh, you know, different psychological struggles that you may have, addictions 
battles with sin that you, you are still really in the midst of. And it can feel like, you know, how can this thing that I'm trying to get rid of to heal be something salvific, be something redeeming? And I think in Jesus retaining his wounds, we recognize that we're always going to retain ours as well. Even when they are healed, they're still part of us. And so that's why they leave scars instead of disappearing completely, because in the scarring, we can tell the story. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this, especially when you're about around a bunch of guys or younger guys. They might start sharing scar stories about like their most gruesome or grotesque injuries and like the surgeries they've had and all the stories behind them and all of that. That's because there's something about, you know, that, that, that shows like I've overcome it. I overcame this amount of pain. And that is in, in a sense, some kind of achievement. And though this is not for our glory, that in our woundedness, we can bring glory to the wounded one, to the one who overcame all wounds and sin and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. I point back to this passage often in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but it's one of my favorites. And in verse 10, Paul is talking, he's been talking about all of these things that he can boast about and all the things that have happened to him, all the afflictions that he's been afflicted with this thorn in his side. And three times he asked the Lord to remove it. And the Lord says, you know, no, it's through this that I'll be glorified. And so Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We have this weird false idea in Christianity that you have to get to a place where you are like all together and completely without sin, basically like totally perfect in order to be holy. And what we don't realize is that if we have that mentality, then we're working toward a a life or a, uh, a way of being seen by others where we are no longer in need of a savior. We've essentially eradicated all need for salvation from our lives because we're perfect, right? We don't struggle anymore. We don't have any sin, no imperfection. That's what sainthood is apparently supposed to be like. And that's not true. You know, a saint is a sinner with a past. And as the saying goes, you know, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. And if we don't recognize our sinfulness, if we don't recognize our need for God, then we're unknowingly kind of saying, I don't need a savior. I don't need to be saved. You know, in the gospel, when Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas, it never says that Thomas actually does it. You know, seeing the wounds can be enough. Sharing the wounds can be enough for him to believe and say, my Lord and my God, I've seen what you've been through. I've seen that you are who you say you are. And now I'm seeing my need for you. You are my Lord and my God. You are not just the Lord and the God, but my Lord and my God. And I think that's just the genius of why we have these readings on this Sunday of Divine Mercy. Um, you know, and, and, be, and we're reminded of God's mercy and his justice. You know, justice is God giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God giving us what we don't deserve. And we're often so concerned with what we deserve, right? Like if we feel wronged or scammed in some way, or like a product isn't working out, or we're dissatisfied with customer service or with a meal. I mean, like Yelp is just like the, the <laughs> or any other app like that is just perfect evidence of this, you know, especially if you're like, what's that called? Like a certified five-star Yelp reviewer or a Yelp elite member that like, I, I, my job is to go make commentary about how satisfied or dissatisfied I am, what I felt I deserved 
for the money that I paid for X service or food. And instead of thinking, you know, we, we're so concerned thinking so justice-minded for ourselves, we don't think about how we've maybe done injustices to others. We're so quick to ask for God's mercy for ourselves when we mess up, but we're so hesitant to extend it to others. You know, I expect God to give me what I don't deserve, right? I want God's mercy, but do you give others what they don't deserve? Do we extend that mercy to others? Remember, Peter's writing to a community that is suffering heavily under Roman persecution, killed by lions in arenas for being Christian. This is not the victorious rallying cry that we would typically expect. Peter is finding joy and encouraging others to find it despite the worry and the persecution and the death. And we live in such a comfortable world and such a comfortable time that it might be impossible to imagine a scenario where we would have to constantly look death in the face and expect it around every corner because of the things we value and believe in. But our faith in God and our joy should be strong enough to sustain us even through such awful, albeit unlikely, trials. God has given us everything in his mercy. Everything is mercy. Everything that we have is an undeserved gift. The only thing you and I can claim ownership of is our sin. That's the only thing that I can say, this is uniquely mine, that I created it and it belongs to me. Everything else good that exists in the world and in my life, I did not create it. It does not belong to me. Anything that is good comes from God or the abilities God gave me to create. And so, am I willing to give him my discomfort, my need for him? Am I willing to humble myself? Am I willing to lose some worldly things, to be more generous, to let go of certain goals or opportunities for the Lord? Am I always asking for his mercy or am I willing to extend mercy? Am I always asking for justice for me, 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 for the things I think I deserve? Or am I ensuring that others are treated justly? And that I am being scrutinous of myself in the ways that I have been unjust in my desires, in my possessions, in my treatment of others. Is it always about me and preserving my own life? Or am I like the early Christians who were less concerned about preserving their own life as they were about preserving the good news and the message of Jesus and living that out with joy despite the circumstances? Remember the words that Peter uses. Rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because they have an inheritance that is, what does he say? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. No matter what you go through, brothers and sisters, no matter what you are facing right now, no matter the worry, the persecution, the struggle, the loneliness, rejoice. Because those things are your wounds and your wounds are your trophies. And it's in those trophies, it's in those wounds that God is going to bring redemption. Because in your wounds, you are reminded how much you need God and how much you cannot do it on your own. And when you recognize that and the wounds heal and scar over, your scars are a remnant, a reminder for yourself and for the others you share the good news with. That it's not about being perfect. It's not about being the best, the strongest, the most knowledgeable Christian. It's about coming before God on bended knee and begging for his mercy because he has won for us salvation on the cross and we can only receive it, only respond to it, only have it sink into our lives and our reality to become real 
if we acknowledge ourselves as sinners, as weak, as wounded, and in the woundedness is where God comes and touches us. In our wounds is where God comes and heals. And so he's setting an example for us in this scene with Thomas in the gospel. Just as you touch my wounds, I desire to come and touch yours and bring healing. But recognize also, you are now called to bring those wounds to others, to heal them, to tell them the good news, to show them the power that I have over anything you may be struggling. And brothers and sisters, if that's hard for you to believe, if you're still in the midst of your woundedness, struggling to find healing, come before God this Easter season and ask for that joy, ask for that healing, especially this Divine Mercy Sunday. Ask for his mercy in the ways that you've turned away. Ask for justice in the ways you've been mistreated. But also ask, how can I extend this to others? How can I give to others what they do not deserve? Maybe someone hurt you and they don't deserve forgiveness. Maybe Divine Mercy Sunday is an opportunity for you to pray for them anyway, to forgive them anyway, not to forget what they did to you, but to recognize in your woundedness, God can and will bring redemption and he will somehow bring good out of it. Even though it wasn't part of his original plan, he will incorporate it into the best possible plan for your life now that it is a reality. Trust that. Trust that God knows what he's doing and his mercy is the greatest gift you could ever receive. So stop chasing the things of this world, medicating your pain in ways that do not satisfy or heal. Come to Jesus this Easter season who desires to heal you and bring you joy. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Thank you.